very, very pleasant evening to you. It's a very pleasant evening altogether, isn't it? Hope your day has been good and you're feeling good and things are going well. And hope and pray that is the situation throughout your week. We'll be in the uh, book of John, the Gospel of John. If you'll go ahead and have your Bibles open this evening to the Gospel of John. As usual on Wednesday uh, evenings, um, I do lean upon you uh, to answer some questions and to uh, add to our uh, discussion. So please, please feel free to uh, add to what we are going through. <clears throat> all right, let's all bow together at this time. Well, Holy Father, as we approach your throne, Holy Father, we're thankful for the, we have this opportunity to express our needs before you, to express our desires, and to render thanks unto thee. We do thank you, Father, for every single blessing of life. Food, water, and shelter, transportation, for friends and loved ones, for everything that you have given us to richly enjoy. Lord, we're mindful mostly of your great love wherewith you have loved us. And we're thankful, Father, that we can open up your word and see the great love story, see the great love that you have for us. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful to be able to look into his life even this evening. We're thankful for all that, that he means to us. We're thankful, Father, for the Holy Scriptures. Through your great power and providence, you have preserved these for us. Father, we are so grateful. It's a true treasure for us. We pray, Father, that you'd help us. Help us even now, Father, as we study together. Help us to listen. Help us to hear. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. Oh, Lord, as always, there are those on our list, in our minds and hearts, that I need your comfort and care at this time. Please bless all those, and you know their needs, O oh Father. Gracious Lord, we're thankful for our families, especially our young families with little ones. We pray, Father, that the Bible classes this evening may, may be what they need, that it will help them in their studies, help them in their faith building we pray for them, Father, and pray for all of our moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a good example to those who are younger. And help us, Father, to set our sights on heaven up above. Help us to realize, Father, in this world we're just passing through. We look forward, O oh Lord, to be at home with you forever and ever. We're thankful for Jesus, his shed blood. The opportunity of forgiveness of sins. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us begin in the 
book of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. Let us have a reading here, John 3. And then we will expand our discussion quite a bit. Let's begin in verse 16, John 3, 16, and go through verse 21. John 3, 16, and then down through verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order... (coughs) in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, And does not come to the the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been been, um, carried out in God. So I want us to center our thoughts on how exclusive, how exclusive Jesus is. And we'll get started with that in just a minute. Now, the Gospel of John is very unique in that John gets right to his point. And he explains his point to us. John chapter 20, uh, 30 and 31. John clearly states his purpose for writing his account of Jesus' life. He says, these things are written that you might believe. That you might believe. So John gives right to the, the deity of Jesus. Okay. And he wants his, his readers to clearly, clearly understand uh, who Jesus uh, truly was and is. John doesn't record the birth of John the Baptist, nor the birth of Jesus. He doesn't give the, the genealogies of the family of Jesus. He doesn't have in his gospel the temptation of Jesus or even the transfiguration of Jesus. He doesn't have the ascension of Jesus upon high. But he fills his book with a great deal of evidence that shows that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I want us to consider first of all how that the Gospel of John brings out the exclusive Jesus. And I want you to do some thinking right now. You've read this book. It's just 21 uh, chapters. You've gone through it. You've heard it many times. When you think about John, what are some things said in John that brings out how exclusive uh, Jesus is? And so I want you to be thinking about that. Okay. Does John, for instance present Jesus as the creator of the world? He does. Where at? John 1. You'll notice that in your Bible. John 1, 
verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, John 1, verse 3, were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This Word is Jesus. We see it here in John 1, 14. The Word became flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. And so throughout his book, John says Jesus is the exclusive one because of the power that he has, because of the miracles that he did. And you have to start right there in chapter 1, don't you? Look at the power that Jesus has had and has always had as God the Word. God the Word became flesh. And so since we're right there on the miracles of Jesus... Think about some of the miracles. Let's just name off a few of the miracles uh, recorded in John, in the book of John. Water to wine, John chapter 2. What else you got? Raising Lazarus, John chapter 11. Okay. What else you got? That's in Luke. It's okay. All right. Think about John just in an exclusive way right now. So the water to wine, raising of Lazarus. If you just flip through John, you'll see in John 4, in the last, uh, last few verses of John 4, 46 through 54, the healing of the nobleman's uh, son. What about John 5? What does Jesus do there? Hmm? Yeah, he healed the paralyzed man there. John 5. All right. Walked on water, John 6. Fed the 5,000, John uh, 6. Man born blind, John 9. Raising Lazarus, as Susan said, John 11. And then, again, John 20, 30, and 31, John says, Many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that, and that believing, you may have life in his name. I love that there in John 20, 30, and 31. Because the type of belief that we're to have is to lead to spiritual life. Okay. The abundant life, John 10, verse 10. But that would need to include, as one comes to Christ, it would necessarily include being baptized for the remission of sins because Romans 6, 3 and 4 says when we come out of the water, we're raised to walk in newness of life. That's what we're talking about there. John said, I'm writing these things down so you may believe and that in believing you may have life and have it more abundantly. Okay. So the miracles of Jesus shows how exclusive uh, he is. Okay. So what else comes to our mind when we think about Jesus' claims of being the only one? I think about, turn, turn over to John 5 for a second. Jesus was uniquely the Father's Son. Okay. 
Now, we become children of God in our submission to the, to the Lord. But Jesus is the unique, uh, the only begotten Son. Notice in John 5, 16. And this is why the Jews, John 5, 16, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My Father, my Father is working up until now, and I am working. So this is why the Jews, verse 18, were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their view, but he also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus is exclusively the Messiah because he's the one that could use and refer to the Father truly as his Father. Okay. John 20 uses, has, has a similar usage of Jesus and the Father. If you want to jump over there right quick. Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, this is Resurrection Day, you remember. Mary Magdalene is there at the tomb. And Jesus said to her, John twenty seventeen, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So in some very unique, wonderful, and distinct way, Jesus is the Son of God in a more elevated way than what anybody else could be. It comes from John chapter uh, 5. What about, what do you think? All the I am statements, do you think those show how exclusive Jesus is? Can you name some of the I am statements of John? I am the bread. Now you can't name it unless you can find it. I just said it. Say it again. I am ascending. I am ascending. Yeah, we just read it, didn't we? I am ascending. I am ascending. John twenty seventeen. Okay. Who else got one? Okay. John eight verse twelve. I am the light of the world. Did you find the bread? John six thirty five. I am the bread. Is that it? Some other I am statements. Quickly, quickly. I am the good shepherd. John 10, 10 through 14. I am the light of the world. John 8, verse 12. Um, I am the vine. You are the branches. John 15. John 14, I am the way. John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Okay. So John, 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 John. John 10, before the Good Shepherd statement, John 10, Jesus said, I am the door. Remember that? John 10, verse 9, I am the door. I am the door. Okay. When Jesus was uh, headed toward the uh, tomb of Lazarus, John 11, 25 and 26. He met Lazarus' sister, Martha. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, 
Though he die, yet shall he live. John 11, 25, and 26. So Jesus is the I am person. Okay. And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, 123. Who is that talking about? That's okay. That's okay. But it does say that that's a reference to John. John was known as the one, I am the voice crying in the wilderness, pointing out Jesus. Very good. Remember the statement at the end of John 8 where Jesus said to some of his Jewish colleagues, he said, before Abraham was born, what did he say? I am. I am. So certainly the I am statements of Jesus point out his, um, how he could lay claim to being the only one, the only one. So that comes from um, John 8. Look at, look at John chapter 10 for a second and notice this statement about Jesus being the one. John 10, following up on the good shepherd Scenario there in John 10. Look all the way down to verse 16. 16. John 10, 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He constantly reminds us that in his system, he would be reaching out to all the world. Not just the Jewish people, but Gentile, Samaritan worlds as well. I have other sheep that are not this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay. Jesus is the one. He's the one shepherd. This ideal is repeated in Scripture two or three times. There is one way. I am the way, the truth. The life, John 14, verse 6. But over in 1 Timothy 2, if you want to check your Bibles there, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Somebody look over there and, and tell us what Jesus is there, and he's the only one. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. He's the only what? Mediator. There is how many mediators? One mediator. Between God and man. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. Gave himself for our sins. Okay. And so there's one way. There's really one name, isn't there? One name. Okay. Uh, Acts 4 verse 11 and 12. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. What does... What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus' name? He has highly exalted him and done what? Right. Yeah, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. He has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee uh, should bow. So, Jesus is the one shepherd. Jesus is the one way. Jesus is the one name. 
Jesus is the one mediator. And really, we could just keep going with these different uh, descriptions of Jesus, especially focusing on uh, the word one. Okay. All right. That comes from John uh, chapter 10. There's one that says in 8.18, I am the one that bears witness of myself. Yep. John 8.18, I am the one that bears witness of myself. Speaking of witnesses, is it in John 5? Run over to John 5 and see if you have this mark in your Bible. John 5, verses 30, all the way down to 47. But Jesus begins to talk about different ones who are witnesses to who he is. Okay. He mentions in John 5, 33, uh, that God has sent John and he has borne witness to the truth. So John was a witness for Jesus. John 5, 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to do, those very works I am doing bear witness about me. And the Father himself has borne witness about me. You, his voice you have heard, his form you have never seen. In other words, God spoke from heaven on different occasions and bore witness to Jesus. John 5.39, the scriptures themselves bear witness to Jesus, all the prophecies, okay, they bear witness. And then Moses himself, John 5.46, bears witness uh, to Jesus. In John 12.48, Jesus said, He that rejects me and receives not the word that that I speak unto you, has one who judges him. The word that I speak unto you will judge you in the last day. The last day. Jesus is depicted as the judge of the world in the book of John. John 5, uh, 28 and 29. Marvel not at this. He says, hours coming when all that are in the tombs will hear my voice and shall come forth. You remember that? So these different aspects of the book of John show how exclusive Jesus is. Going back to John 14, verse 6, I think that some of the world would be okay with the first part of John 14, 6. But it's the second part that so often got the early Christians persecuted. First part, I am the way, the truth, the life. Okay. And then the second part of the verse is what? John fourteen six. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, no one. See, that's exclusive. No one can come to the Father except through me. I think a lot of people in the early of the early days would have accepted that first part. Jesus just claiming that He can enhance your life and bring you spiritual qualities, okay, and pre- present the truth to you. But when He says, "No one." comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want us to, to move on and notice how, we've already read some of it, how the men rejected Jesus, even though he is the one. We read some about it there in John 3. The light came in the world, and men loved the darkness more than they did the light. Right? Okay. Because their deeds were evil. Okay. Look over to John 12, for a second, and look at 42 and 43. 
This is a passage that I should have brought out Sunday morning as we were talking about taking a stand uh, for the Lord. But notice that there were some, uh, John twelve forty two. Uh, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they would not confess it, so they would not, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. Okay. So in those days, those early days, many rejected uh, Jesus. We remember Paul's statement in First Corinthians. One in First Corinthians one, along about verse uh, twenty-two, uh, he's talking about how he preached the gospel, and he said, "He said the gospel to the Jews is a what, like a stumbling block, right? How is it, how is it to the Greeks? Foolishness. Foolishness, foolishness. So even though these claims are pretty spe- specific, and um, you know, there's no debate about who Jesus uh, was and is, yet uh, many refuse uh, to receive him. Okay. The Greeks looked upon it as foolishness. The Jews looked at it as, as Jesus claims being close to being blaspheming. You're blaspheming the, the true God by making this claim. Okay. Right. And so in those days, in those days they rejected him. But what about today? What about today? Muslims, Jews. Okay. The environment that we are in today is particularly uh, is particularly created, or it has it has developed in such a way that it's just easy to reject Jesus. Okay. Someone, and I forget, but it was in, it was in some of my notes on John from a way back. Somebody had had thrown out three or four characteristics of our current day, okay, that is kind of similar to, to the day of Jesus himself. But one characteristic is that today, uh, in general, people will say there is no special revelation from heaven. There's no special revelation from heaven. There's no special story from heaven. Okay? Everybody's story has equal value. Okay? That's one characteristic of, of our day. Another characteristic is that there are many ways to get to God or to a God. Okay, many ways to get there. And all those ways are both uh, inadequate because we're humans, but also they're all equal because we're humans. Okay. That's generally the environment that we are in uh, today. Okay. And then... People will contend today that most religions agree on, on the same thing, on the big things they agree, but on the little things they disagree. Okay. Right. Now, I don't know how that passes as, as, actual, um, as actual credible communication because there's no way that all the religions on the earth basically agree on the big things. And just agree on a few and disagree on a few small things, okay. but that's generally the environment uh, that we're that we're in now. Okay. Since about the 1960s or so, which I was barely born then, okay. 
But since about the 1960s, the ideal about religion, and it has grown, is basically this. It's all beautiful, it's all true, and it's all one. It's all one. Nothing is to be distinguished from any of it. One college professor um, of our time, he said, he says, it's almost like the kids are allergic to argument. They're allergic to argument. He says, they will clearly say the words, I think. They will clearly say the words, I feel. But rarely do you hear them say the words, I believe. I believe. And that's generally the, the uh, environment that we're in uh, today. Now, the world accuses you and me because we follow Jesus. They accuse us of being arrogant. What do you say about that? They accuse us of being arrogant. The argument goes like something like this. Everybody knows that Christians are to be humble. and But you're making an exclusive claim. That makes you arrogant. And so therefore... Your religion is full of holes. What What do you say about that? I think you can come across as arrogance, but it's actually confidence. You can come across as arrogance, but it's actually confidence. Okay. okay. Yeah. So it could come across as arrogance. Yeah. But in general, can that claim be? Be uh, does that have any substance to it? Or how would you respond to that if you're just talking to somebody generally and they made that remark? Well, it seems pretty arrogant of you guys to say that that your way or Jesus' way is the only way. Yeah. Okay. That would that would be an excellent way of responding. Both uh, Ida and Lori both saying. You know, it's not what we said, it's what the Lord says. What the Lord says. And the Lord, the Lord has brought this forth. Okay. Right. Also, the world would accuse us of not being tolerant. Not being tolerant. And then, well, the world accuses us of a lot of things. But what do you think about that? Are we tolerant enough? saying that in actuality we would be as followers of the Lord more tolerant because we're filling our lives with the love of the Lord which brings out patience and we have a, we have a tremendous view in mind of helping people come to know the Lord and come to know life and abundant life and eventually eternal life itself 
And so I, I would say that's a good response, that, um, that we're actually more tolerant. So that brings us to the main question this evening, and that is how can we, how can we, how can we reach people who have doubts about Jesus? How can we reach people who have doubts about Jesus? What are your ideas about that? Well, I think Ross was saying it right. We have to we have to be confident. We have to we have to know the ins and outs of who we are, and we have to believe in in it, in what it is, and we have to be convicted by it. Okay, I think that is is a way of communicating to the world as much as your your the, the words you might say to them. Okay, so we must know our our Bibles. We must know Jesus. We must know. Uh, everything that there is to know about him, and we must love knowing it, and that must exude from our lives. And that's at least partly a way of reaching uh, the world. If we have doubts, then certainly how are we going to help someone else? We have doubts. All right. We have to be confident, Brother Ken, saying, of our salvation before we can teach someone else about salvation. And that's, that's an excellent point because what is that we have to offer if we have doubts, the world's walking around with doubts. We have nothing to offer, but Jesus has a lot to offer if we let his word come through us. Okay. There was a, a British writer uh, years ago who wrote an article about the religion in America, the Christian Christians in America. And he said it reminded him of a shy teenage boy who is a little bit um, embarrassed of his father when he and his father are together and a little bit ashamed of his father. And that seems to be the way the Christians have uh, come to uh, view their faith. I have this faith, but I'm a little bit ashamed of it, and I don't want to say much about it, but I do have uh, this faith. Okay. I know exactly how that feels, by the way. Of, on the other side, I, I um, never had teenage boys, but I was around teenage boys a lot. Okay. And one evening, y'all remember Jacob Holmes? Y'all remember Jacob? He and Christopher and Martin and others... Every once in a while, they let me tag along at night. So we went to see a movie one evening, and then we went to um, uh, Waffle House, I guess, or or uh, no Steak and Shake, or Steak and Shake. And so I'm following them in, and Jacob says, "I feel like my daddy's with me tonight." I said, "Okay, Jacob, thank you, thank you. This will be my last time. This will be my last time." So, uh, what comes to your mind about helping someone who has clearly decided in his or her mind to reject Jesus? What else comes to your mind? We've got to be confident in our faith. We've got to know, um, we've got to know the Lord. Okay. 
What else might you say? We just have to live. Live the word. We must live the word. Unless you're living the word. Okay. Okay. has to be something in them that wants to find the Lord. And that is our belief that there is in everybody, uh, deep down, a longing for the Lord. A sense of being on your own, just being alienated. That something is not quite right. And that's what we want to talk to them about. Okay? We want to just go back to the basic ideas of the Lord. The Lord Jesus came because there's sin in the world. The devil's here. He come to... to um, to be, to be victorious over the sin problem. He come, he's the only one that could come and deal with sin and take away that alienation. Okay. So two words to keep in mind is, you know, alienated but also reconciled. Okay. Through Jesus we can be reconciled back to God. Sin takes us away from the Lord and it makes us, creates that feeling and, and that longing for God to be back with Him. And so I think... One way is to just get back to the basic idea that everybody would agree uh, that we're all on our own. We, we have no answers. We have, we have no ways. We have no, we have no answer to, to the other side. What, what happens to you when you walk out of here? You know, where are you going when you walk out of here? You know, in just a few years, you're going to walk out of here. Where are you going? What do you think is going to meet you on the other side? And only the Lord has that answer. Okay. Anything else come to your mind about finding and reaching those who may have doubts? In the book of John, before we close, look in your Bible to John 16. And notice, once again, Jesus promised to his apostles, John 16 and 13. He's been speaking about going away. He's speaking of his death, burial, resurrection, eventually his ascension up on high. He will go away. But when he goes away, he will send the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. And it would guide them into all the truth. All the truth. Okay. Somewhere in our discussions, we must talk to people about how that God has sealed up his revelation. There is no... There's no more revelation from God coming. This was it. This is it. The finality of God speaking to man was sealed up in these early days. Okay. The, the Spirit, when it came upon the apostles, it guided them to every bit of the truth, all the truth. Okay. And this promise is made here in these chapters of John 14, 15, and 16. If you want to look at your, your Bibles here before we close... John 14, uh, 26, Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he would, he would help these, these human beings, the Peter, James, and John, and the others. They'll, they'll be able to remember perfectly because of God the Holy Spirit's work uh, with them. Okay. And then John 15 and verse 26, I believe it is again. Notice Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay. And then add to that John 16, uh, 13. Okay. He will guide you in all the truth. John sixteen thirteen. But if you keep reading in John sixteen thirteen. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now put that together for a second. Back in John 14, he'll bring to you, bring to you all, all your remembrance. He'll bring to you remembrance all the things that have happened. Okay. That would cover Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. John 15, 26, he says, The Spirit's going to allow you going to enable you to bear witness for my name. Okay. That covers the actions in the book of Acts. Because that's what they did. They went forth in the book of Acts and they told people all about Jesus and his resurrection and his works and he was approved of God. They bore witness for his name. Okay. And then John 16, 13 says, he will guide you into all the truth. Okay. And so it is these, some of these very apostles that brought forth the books of Romans and Galatians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and, and on down, all the way down through James and John and Jude. Okay. And then the end of, of 16, 13, he says, he will declare you things to come. That would cover the book of Revelation. You see, what God is doing here by sending the Holy Spirit from the apostles, they're going to be able to remember all they need to remember. They're going to be able to go forth and do the work in a perfect way. And that's going to be recorded for us in the book of Acts. And then these epistles are going to come forth. And the Holy Spirit is going to be with them as they write these epistles. And then he's going to declare things to come uh, in the future, which would um, cover at least uh, in part the, the book of Revelation. Okay. And so we have to get to the Bible eventually. And talking about the, the New Testament New Testament being God's final word to man. His final word to man. And, and showing how this is the case um, it can help. It can help. Okay. There are a lot of folks out there who are wondering about the Bible. Okay. They want to know more about it. They want to know about how is, how is it divided up? What is it that is supposed to help me uh, today? By the way, Jesus gave uh, the Great Commission, recorded in Matthew. Okay. He begins in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. He says, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth." Okay, how do you know that Jesus has all authority? Well, as we've been discussing in John, but also in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus shows through in many different ways that He has the authority. He is the one. Okay, through His miracles, through His relationship with the Father through his teachings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
through his dealing with Satan and the demons, etc., 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 he shows he has all authority in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. And then, Great Commission, Matthew 28 19, what does Jesus say? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what they did in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, they did this. And then, Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always in the world. That statement pretty much covers Romans through Revelation. Okay. So in there, in the Great Commission, and right here in John 14, 15, and 16, when you combine all these statements together, you see that God clearly had in mind to build and create and develop the New Testament that we have Day. And we can show that to people and at least give them an answer, give them a reasonable answer as to why God preserved these scriptures for us. Okay. So John brings out the fact that Jesus had exclusive claims. I am the way, the truth, the life. It also shows that many men rejected that and people reject that today. But also we must find ways to, to reach them. And if we had more time, we could see that Jesus had a special way of reaching people. From the Gospel of John, remember his work with the Samaritan lady in John 4. Remember he was able to convince Thomas, John 20. And so when we look at the example of Jesus, then we can find ways to at least give people good scriptural common sense answers and um, see if that will grow in their hearts. Thank you once again for being in class. We'll take about a three minute break here. Thank you so much.